working with, um, what's it called? Uh, under promise and over deliver, all right? I had a mentor of mine say that one time, and I try to live my life that way. Um, my name is Nick Hughes, and I have the privilege of leading Sunday School this morning. We're in our Mission and Vision series, which two words come to mind when I think about uh, this series. It's valuable and necessary. Those are the two words that come to mind when I think about our Mission and Vision series. Valuable and necessary. And it's valuable because it's just really good content. I have never been to a church, attended a church. I don't even know of a church. I mean, some of you might, and if you do, you're more than welcome to share it with me later today. I don't know of many churches that revisit their mission and vision every single year. I love that we do that. And when I remember when I was interviewing to join Madison Heights, they said, hey, hop on the website and listen to our mission and vision series so you can know what we're about in the DNA of our church. And quickly realized how valuable our mission and vision statement are. That we're a refuge for broken people. And we want to experience the grace of Jesus and we want to express the truth of the gospel. And we do that through worshiping, connecting, serving, and, and going. And that's what makes it valuable. It's really, really good content. And I hope that I can mantle it well this morning and just give us a good reminder. But then it's necessary. Why? Because we all have spiritual amnesia. We really do. We're so forgetful when it comes to spiritual matters and what's most important in life. Um, the, the attention span of human beings is dwindling by the day. We've long surpassed the attention spans of goldfish. Like scientifically, it's proven. Goldfish now have more attention spans than we do. And I know this is true because I work with students. And I see it every day. Hey. Yeah, you guys' attention spans decreasing for different reasons, I think, huh? <laughs> um, my, my, my California dad, he does the Sudoku puzzles every day. I'm like, man, he's trying to hold on to that memory as long as he can. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Someone else does that too? I mean, it's life, right? We can joke about those things. It's life. Um, life is hard, but it's good, and it's good because we have each other. So see why I said necessary and valuable, mission and vision series. It's valuable. It's good stuff. I love that we're all here for this, and it's necessary because we're all so forgetful. And why else is it necessary? Um, so being human beings, being in this human experience that we all have, it comes with some burdens and some responsibilities and some obstacles. And I think one of those obstacles is that everything that God intended for us to experience was messed up, right? In the very beginning with original sin, we messed everything up. So what was supposed to be first nature for us is no longer first nature. Like, relationship with God is no longer a natural experience for us. Extending grace is no longer a natural experience for us. Can I get an amen? Extending forgiveness is no longer a natural experience for us. We're critical. We're selfish. We're bitter. We're jaded. We're lost. We're broken. And so we have to relearn 
a bunch of what God originally intended for us. And when I think about our mission and vision series, and when I think about grace, when I think about Jesus, it's kind of like learning another language, right? And it makes me think about two stories that I have about the importance of knowing the right language and what can happen when you don't know the language. So for those of you that know my story, I uh, grew up in Southern California and then went to a private Christian university. My best friend's family in high school took me and my twin brother in, loved us. They were a mobile refuge for us. That's what we're talking about this morning. And led us to the Lord. After college, I went to live in Malawi, East Africa for two years. And uh, changed my life, changed my world. And when I first got to Malawi, I remember driving from the airport. And the people driving us said, hey, when you drive through villages and when you're on the roads here, if you hit a goat or if you hit a chicken, don't stop your vehicle. It's kind of like when you're driving in Jackson at night and you come to a red light, right? So <laughs> what they say. It's what they say, right? They say, don't stop in Jackson, especially at a red light. Run it. <laughs> it's like, jeez. I remember when I first moved here, I went to the auto zone, like on, on uh, Woodrow Wilson or something, and I walked in, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not supposed to be here. And I'd go to the Walmart late at night, because growing up where I came from, you could go to Walmart late at night, and it was the one off county line, and they're like, what are you doing? But I'm digressing, sorry. When, you, when, you're in the, when you're in Malawi, and when you're driving, if you hit something, don't stop, keep driving. Because mob mentality is real. Um, Villagers know that you have a lot, and they have a little, and they will take advantage of you. And I, I started driving in Malawi, and Malawi is colonized by the British. So the roads are all like London. You drive on the opposite side of the road. You drive in the other seat. So there's a learning curve there, and you'll get stuck in your old ways, and you'll make a turn, and you'll realize, I'm not turning the way I'm supposed to be turning. And I remember I was pulling out of the gas station, and there was a guy on a bicycle, and I was doing like five. And he's on his bike, and he starts turning toward me, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? And I turn to dodge him, and he, he, he taps my van, barely, but it definitely bends the bicycle. And I forget what I've been told, and I get out of the car. And he's furious, right? And he starts talking to me in his native language, and I don't know how to speak Chichewa, and he's raising his voice, and he's getting louder. So what do I do? I raise my voice. I get louder. And I look around. I kid you not. We're surrounded by a mob of people. Me, him, and his bicycle are in the middle of a crowd of people, and they all look really upset. And I'll never forget, someone walked through the crowd of people, and he came up to me, and he's, he's a local, he's a native, Malawian, and he said, hey, I'm a retired police officer. I can speak English very well. Let me translate to see what he wants. And I said, please do. Thank you so much. He, he wanted some money from me, rightfully so, to fix his bike. And the police officer, retired, said, all, all you need to give him is a few dollars in American money, and everything will be okay. I was like, that's all it was? I couldn't believe it. And that man, knowing English, potentially 
saved my life, right? And then another time while I was in Malawi, we decided to go to the local zoo, which is not like any zoo here in America. It's like chain link fences and animals put behind fences, right? And there were some monkeys behind the fence. And I was with a friend of mine trying to impress her, taking her out. And uh, we're talking to the monkeys, and we're trying to get them to come closer to us. And a local walks up to me, and you can tell that he's been drinking, and his breath does not smell like mints or bubble gum, right? And he, he gets real uh, animated. And he says, what are you doing talking to the monkeys in English? And I said, what are you? He said, those monkeys will never listen to you because they're Malawian monkeys. <laughs> and I said, that makes sense. And he said, you need to speak to them in Chichewa if you want those monkeys to come close to you. And I was like, man, you got it. So I learned as much Chichewa as I could. And it just made me realize how important it is to know the language. Because if we don't know the language, we can be in great danger. And when it comes to our mission and vision series, I want to pose the argument this morning that we don't know the language. And I was talking to my wife about this, and she's like, she's so literal. And I'm not. I'm really, like, subjective and intuitive. And she's like, what language am I supposed to know, Nick? And I was like, it's not literal language, Bryce. But thank you, because you're helping me to get better here, right? I was like, it's the language of Jesus. It's the language of grace. It's the language of forgiveness. And she's like, but we've been told that already. And I was like, yeah, but we forget the language. And she's like, that's what you need to say. We forget the language. So that's what I'll say this morning, right? Because our spouses are always right. We forget this language. That's why we do this Mission and Vision series every single year. Because we forget we need to be reminded that we are a refuge for broken people and that we want to experience the grace of Jesus Christ every day. And the natural byproduct of experiencing something, Randy said, has said this every single week, is what? Once you experience it, you express it. And it's so cool because even when learning an actual language, right, what do you have to do in order to learn a language? you got to hear it. You have to experience it. And then you get better at learning a language by doing what? Talking it out, using it, expressing it. And when it comes to the language of grace, every single one of us in here had to experience grace. We had to. And, you, and what's so cool about grace is we all might have experienced it in different places and in different stages of our lives. But the substance remains the same, right? Right? More than likely, you experienced it from another person, from another human being. They extended grace to you. They talked to you about the truth. They, they, they helped you experience it. My family in California, that's not my blood, right? My best friend's family, they helped me experience grace. And then what do we do with it? We express it. It's something that we've started taking up in our student ministry. So when our students become juniors and seniors in our ministry, and even a little bit younger, but definitely in high school, instead of just being a part of a small group, we have our students leading small groups. Why? Because they have to express what it is that they're experiencing. 
right? Those of us that have been called into ministry, <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. Right? It's, it's a really tough job and it's a weighty job, but it's also such a privilege because we get to express the truth because it's our job. So we're, it's, it's, it's making its way a little bit, hopefully, deeper into our hearts and our minds when we express it. And there's a third aspect of learning this language that I want to that I don't want to share with us this morning. Maybe we need to add it to the mission and vision statement, Randy. Just kidding. Maybe. It's immersion. You experience it. You express it. You immerse yourself in it. If you're really, truly going to grow spiritually, you have to immerse yourself in a godly community. You have to immerse yourself in the things of God. And I, I say this to students all the time. And I love this because it's like my soapbox where I get to like mantle student ministry and make you all feel guilty for your kids not coming and stuff like that. But students are always like, man, what is ch- why, why is church so important? We go Sunday morning. Why do we have to go on Wednesdays or Sunday nights? Not our students. Our students don't say that, right? Our students love coming to church. But we do it sometimes just because you have to be in it. You need to be immersed in it. And so much in life is caught, not taught. I remember growing up in a, not, not in a Christian home at all and then going to a private Christian university. I didn't want to go to a private Christian school. Like, we made fun of those schools when I was in high school. And little did I know, by being at a private Christian university and going to chapel three times a week, I was being immersed in a culture that I so desperately needed, and it changed my life. My first two years in college, I was kind of like still hesitant with with Christianity and the things of God, and I realized it was because I didn't have any men in my life that I wanted to be like or that I admired. Junior year of college, I finally had a professor that invited his students to go hiking with him. Got to spend time with a professor outside of the classroom. Got to be immersed in his life. My heart started to change. My mind started to change. And then, I seriously mean this, right? On a whim, I got invited to to live and work in Malawi, Africa. Like I tell people all the time, I wasn't like, I want to go serve and help the people in Africa. That wasn't me. Like my pride took me to Africa. I was like, I don't have anything else going on after college. I need something to do. They said they'd pay for my flight and they'd give me a stipend each month. Let's go. And little did I know that it was going to change my life. In Malawi, I was surrounded by godly families by men that were leading their families. I I kid you not, almost every single night in Malawi, I was at a different family's home for dinner, at the dinner table with them and with their kids, almost every night. And it was that immersion experience that helped me realize my call to ministry. And I'm not here this morning talking about this idea of being a mobile refuge and that we all need to go to say that everyone here needs to go to Africa. It's not what I'm here to say this morning. But you have to go somewhere, right? And for a kid that grew up in a very lost environment and in a very lost home, Africa was exactly what I needed. And for every single person in this room, there's something that we all need. There's somewhere that each and every one of us needs to go. Today, this week, Next month, I mean, for the students in the room, it's church tonight. Like, if you're wondering where you're supposed to go, I'll tell you. 
It's church tonight, right? So every single student here, I should see you tonight, right? But in all seriousness, we're all called to go. And this is where I'm going to try to be as simple as I possibly can because that's what hopefully a good student pastor does, right? Keeps things simple. So I'm going to give us two verses or two passages for why I think this is so important, why we're called to be mobile, to be a mobile refuge. And if you're in the, if you ever grew up in the Baptist world, you're going to know this passage very well, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And I would say that this is where the idea of being the mobile refuge comes from. It's Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in Christianity and in theology, we have what we call the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we have the great commission, which is found right here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through and 20. And as simply put that I can say for why we're supposed to be going, why we're called to be a mobile refuge is because God commands it. And our responsibility is to obey God. It really is that simple. Our duty is to delight in the obedience that's before us. God calls us to go. And again, I'm not saying that you need to go to Africa. You should. It'll change your life. But I am saying you need to go somewhere. And what I love about this passage is the very last two sentences, right? Or the last sentence. This is Jesus talking, right? Before he leaves. These are the words that he leaves his closest friends and followers. Please go share the good news. Build the kingdom. The last sentence is the best. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Early on when I got introduced to to Christianity and to theology, I was really on fire, like pharisaically on fire, you know? And what that means is I was trying to learn as much as I possibly could so that I could help everyone else to know where they were wrong. (laughs) And so I'm going to tickle that pharisaical mindset just a little bit here because it's kind of like a pet peeve, a spiritual pet peeve. Anyone have those? Spiritual pet peeves. So if you have put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, God is always with you. God is always with you, no matter what. You don't need two or three or more gathered for God to be with you, right? That's a verse that we commonly will share and that a lot of people will use, and it's out of context. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, where two or more are gathered, there I will be. And if you're in the theology space, you know that Matthew 18 is all about church discipline, 
And God is trying to encourage us when we're in the midst of conflict that he is also there with us. But the beautiful thing about Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 in the great commandment is this realization that God is always with us no matter what. So where are we supposed to go? Where are we supposed to go? That's what brings me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, it's, it's this telling of, of Jesus as he's beginning to ascend to go away. And I've heard it said, and I've, I find it to be true, or at least I try to hold on to this truth that, that it was better for Jesus to go. Isn't that wild to think about? It was better for Jesus to go so that we could have the Holy Spirit with us at all times. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Where are we supposed to go? Geographically speaking, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria is equivalent to saying Madison, Mississippi, the United States, and the world. I had a professor at RTS, and his name was Alias Medeiros. Anyone know him? Raise your hand if you know Dr. Medeiros. Yeah. You know what's so cool about Dr. Medeiros is when I was living in Malawi before I even knew I wanted to go to, into ministry, he was the keynote speaker for the graduation at African Bible colleges before I ever went to RTS. And he's got a famous, like he's coined this phrase when he talks about missions. Some of you might know it if you know him. Where are we supposed to take the gospel, he says. And he would always say, across the street and around the world. Where do we take the gospel, my friend? That's how he, thought. Oh, he says, my friend. We take it across the street and we take it around the world. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is where we get this from. Where are we supposed to go? And <clears throat> this, is the, this is the statement that I want to say to all of us in the room this morning. And it might hit home for some. Even if it hits home for just one, I'll be happy, right? If you're struggling in knowing where you're supposed to go, how you're supposed to be a mobile refuge. This is what I want to say to you. If you're, if you're unsure of where to go, the most obvious place that you've been avoiding, the most obvious place that you've been avoiding is where you're supposed to go. I've come to find it to be true in my life that God is really gracious and beautiful and he'll leave me clues if I'm willing to see them. And I would go as far to bet that some of us in the room have probably been avoiding someone or something or some place where we're supposed to be going. It might look like confession. It might look like repentance. 
It might look like vulnerability. It might look like just simply checking in on someone that you know you've been putting off for some reason that you're familiar with and we are not. So where are you supposed to go this morning? As practically as I can say it, the most obvious place that you've been avoiding. But don't stop there, right? When I read this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it reminds me, when I ask myself the question, where am I supposed to be going? My home, right? Here's my figurative speech again, right? Not literally home, but I'm supposed to be present at home. I'm supposed to be loving at home. I'm supposed to be gracious at home. I'm supposed to be leading at home. And as I strive to become the type of person that's going to my home, I also want to be the type of person that's going into my community. And as I go into my community, I want to be the type of person that's going outside of my community. And as I go outside of my community, I want to experience the gospel globally because I know that there's great reward and experience in seeing God working and coming alongside God in a foreign country. So this morning's Sunday school message on the topic of go isn't to give you a blueprint, but it's to give you a reason, right? On why you go. No one's here to tell you everywhere you're supposed to go. That's your job. That's your responsibility. But I can tell you some obvious places, your home, your local church, your local community, those are obvious. So where are we supposed to go? I'll say it one last time before I move on. What's the most obvious place in your life that you've been avoiding? And then my last point is why must we go? Why? What's the motivation? What's the inspiration? What can help me to muster up some confidence and some passion so that I might actually start going? And I have here because we have been set free. We go because we've been set free. Set free from sin. Set free from our selfish way of thinking. Set free from our small perspectives and our small visions. We've been set free from all of it, so that's why we go. And I think in our county specifically, and in our state specifically, this matters a little bit more pertinently. We've been set free. What have we been set free from? From so many things. I know so many adults in this room that have been set free from super empty, archaic religion, right? So many of us in this room have stories of being told what to do because we would face consequences if we didn't do it. We've been set free from that way of thinking. We've been set free from that life. Like, we get to live from a place of being free 
that Jesus accomplished all that we could never accomplish so that we can experience in building the kingdom of God with him. And we've been set free from the Pharisee inside of us and the Pharisee beside us. What do I mean when I say that? I want to read this for us. And this passage really motivated me this morning. And my prayer is that it would motivate you as well. I can picture Jesus looking at a Pharisee and saying these things to a Pharisee. And I can picture him saying it to me. So I'm going to read now. You can turn there if you want, but if you just want to hear this and listen to this, that's totally fine. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 46. And just let this dialogue with Jesus and a Pharisee really try to soak in, if you would. Luke 11, verses 37 through 46. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisee, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say this, these things, you insult us also. You hurt our feelings. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. May that not be true of us. May that not be true of us. Let us be people that go with grace, that go with vulnerability. We let people see us. That go with humility. As Randy says, and I love that he says this, we don't look down on with judgment upon anyone because we know that if we were in their circumstances, we would be no better. In fact, we'd probably be worse. So we go with humility. We go with urgency because people are hurting, because people are broken. And like our young people, there is a war being raged over the attentions of our young people. We go with urgency. But we go with patience because we know that we have God's spirit with us. And we know that ultimately he is in control. It's not upon our shoulders, right? But nonetheless, we go. We go. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for a local church that you've blessed with a mission and vision that aligns with your gospel truth. Holy Spirit, we're grateful for your working in our hearts and in our minds. May we be people that are filled with grace. 
And may we be people that go. Whatever that looks like for us as individuals, may we be people that go. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. You guys have 20 minutes before service starts. Sorry I gave you so much time to mingle. That's all I got, though. Thank you guys for being here for Sunday school.